handle the truth. We are back. Welcome to episode three of the Truth Podcast, sponsored by Gatorade Santiago and La Liga Works, which can be seen on 730 The Game, ESPN, CLT Pod Center, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere where you get podcasts. I'm Mikey Nomagali here, as usual, alongside my co-host, Jermaine Barnes. JB, give the listeners a taste of what's going on today in episode three and why our women's appreciation episode means so much to you. Um, today is Women's Appreciation Day. Um, this is a humongous topic, uh, especially with the current culture of basketball today. So I felt it was only necessary that we do something for our ladies. And I know Mikey feels the same way. Uh, we got a great show and the only way we can bring out an appreciation for women is to have excellent women on the show today. And JB, who do we got on today? Who are these famous women who's going to chop it up with us on the truth? Oh, well, you have to have the GOAT. Like, there's no point of having a guest unless you have the greatest of all time, and that's Cynthia Cooper. You know, we also have Melvin, uh, NC State Hall of Famer, assistant coach in the WNBA right now, and a WNBA All-Star. So uh, it doesn't get much better than the guests we have today. And um, there's no proper way to do it, but then this way. Just before we begin, all of our opinions and, and things we say on this are our opinions only and do not have to do with ESPN. That right. being said, you know, in episode one, JB, we gave them both of our top 10 players of all time in the NBA before we interviewed Derek Anderson. Here we are in, on Women's Appreciation Day. Give me your top five all-time WNBA players. Oh, well, this is easy for me. Uh, number five, Candace Parker, uh, three-time MVP. That's counting regular season and finals. Uh, she won one title, Defensive Player of the Year, and, of course, a personality on NBA TV now. Uh, number four, the magnificent Maya Moore. I mean, just uh, a dominant superstar guard. I would say the Kobe Bryant of the WNBA. Um, four-time champion, two-time MVP, and just the off-the-court um, brilliance of her from um, fighting justice for her husband. And it is so much that we can touch on, but I feel like she's a phenomenal person and definitely a superstar athlete. Uh, number three, Lisa Leslie. I mean, the Wilt Chamberlain of women's basketball, uh, two-time champion, all-time leading rebounder, second in scoring. I mean, the first professional dunk ever. You know, Lisa Leslie is the standard. Number two, Diana Tarasi. I mean, just everything. Tarasi is a super competitor. She has all the records. Uh, she's a champion, scoring champion, titles, MVPs, you name it, three-time MVP, uh, three titles. I mean, can't say enough. And then, of course, Cynthia Cooper, number one. I mean, you're talking about the all-time leading score and point-per-game average. We're talking about somebody who joined the WNBA as a 34-year-old and still won Ricky of the Year, won four titles in a row, won a high school state championship, an NCAA championship, a EuroLeague championship, uh, a gold medal, and then four WNBA titles. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Six-time MVP that goes for finals and regular season, uh, highest scoring average ever. First, Naismith WNBA Hall of Famer ever the GOAT, Cynthia Cooper. And people, you heard all of her accolades, and we have the woman herself, 2010 Hall of Famer, and one of the most accomplished players of all time, men and women, the great Cynthia Cooper. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. 
right, JB, let's get it started with asking Cynthia about her whole career as a whole. I'm going to, I'm going to go over some accolades of yours. Two-time NCAA champion at USC, four-time WNBA champion, four-time final MVP, two-time WNBA MVP, three-time scoring champion. It just goes on and on and on, Cynthia. Thinking back and looking back and listening to those accomplishments, what goes through your head from your legendary career? You know, I think the first thing I wanted to do um, was leave a legacy. You know, I wanted to make sure that there was a league that stayed around for little girls to play professional basketball in America. I wanted to bring my A game. So when I came from overseas playing in Italy, I wanted to come back and let fans know, know what I had been doing for so many years away from America, uh, pursuing my dream of playing professional basketball. So the accolades are the accolades. But for, for me, I like to win. I'm all about winning. The only reason I participate is to win. I practice to win. I work hard to win. I run my sprints to win. I'm in the gym to get better so that I can help my team win championships. And I wanted to bring that type of mentality to the WNBA. And JB, this is our women's appreciation episode. You have a hand in a lot of women's basketball overseas. Obviously, you know Coop and tons of other WNBA players. Tell us how much Coop means to you, her legacy, and just women's basketball as a whole. I mean, for me personally, Coop was everything. You know, this is no secret. Anybody that has any personal relationship with me or follows me on social media, they know my stance on Coop. Coop is the Michael Jordan of women's basketball. We grew up in the era where we, we saw Coop when she came into the league. Of course, at this time, you got to understand that women didn't have a place to go. They had the ABL, and that was the closest thing they had. And all the men were campaigning for women to have their own league. So the women had our support from the beginning, not because, oh, they're females. No, because they were that good. They had the two, Teresa Edwards, Lisa Leslie's and them. But then when Coop hit the scene, Coop added the flair to the game as a whole. There were women that could hoop. And then you had Coop. Like, you got to understand, 18,000, 18 to 20,000 fans were in Houston on their feet doing this. We're, we're the roof. Eighth, ninth grade, eighth, ninth grade, we're creating Coop on NBA Live. Coop was a culture phenomenon. This is like something you could never understand. This was bigger than women's basketball. Coop was the Michael Vick experience if you're from the South. So I felt like if I grew up in that culture and I saw that as a kid, when I became older and I had the opportunity to give back, it was because I knew in 2030, there would be a coop that needed me in that aspect to deliver that opportunity when they didn't have it. So when I saw somebody have to struggle and put the women on their back, kind of like a Jackie Robinson or Satchel Paige or, you know, Josh Gibson of the Negro League and back in the day where Blacks didn't get to play baseball, that was coop to us. So it was like, who am I not to stand in and bridge the gap for women of color? You know, and not only just women of color, but also all women. When I saw my childhood in Coop and what she did for the culture of the game, you know what I'm saying? So I understood her sacrifice and I was all for it. And that's why I stand behind it like I do right now. Wow, JB, good night. She, you just made me feel great. 
Here we go. <laughs> That's it, Coop. That's the interview. All right, we're gone. That's it. All right. <laughs> and and I'll take this next one, uh, JB. Talking about your USC days, Coop, early to mid-80s, yourself, Cheryl Miller, Rhonda Winham, the McGee sisters. Tell us about, about that team and just just being like one of the first legendary college women's basketball teams. You know, it's so funny because most people think that I was a star on every team that I played on. But really, I started playing basketball late. I started at age 15. I had one scholarship offer, and that scholarship offer was to USC. So it was amazing for me to get to play at SC. And then we, 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 had the, we got the number one recruit in the nation in Cheryl Miller. Uh, the McGee twins are already there. So the thing for me is, you know, Cheryl Miller had won state championship. I had won the state championship when I was in high school. So there's a little competition there initially, but it made for some of the top practices, the best practices I've ever been a part of. And we just made each other better. And the big thing that people don't know is that I came off the bench at USC and I'm in the Hall of Fame. So I came off the bench. It was, that's how good that team was. They called me the spark plug. Um, and I, I just, I, I think when you, when you set out and winning is the number one thing in your mind, you're willing to assume whatever role you need to assume in order for your team to be successful. That's always been my number one position, my number one goal. And so with USC, I mean, our practices were tougher than most of our games. And, yeah. and we just held each other to a high standard. But, and on, an, on another note, remember, I'm from the inner city. So going to a private university like USC, it really opened the windows of the world to me. I never really traveled outside of Los Angeles, California. I mean, we took one trip up north to play the state championship game, but I had never really traveled outside of California. Um, so USC gave me all of those experiences and really the confidence to pursue a professional career over in Italy. Uh, paro Italiano, I speak fluent Italian. And I mean, I would have never had that opportunity had it not been for my experiences playing for a great university like USC. And so when you build, when you have those building blocks, the next thing is championships. You can't, the only reason you should participate in any sport on any level is to win championships. And, and that's what we were focused on. And we were, we were like-minded, we all had the same goal. And that's not to just win one championship, but when you have that target on your back, that bullseye on your back, you know, go back and do it again, you know, back-to-back -back national championships. So that was the goal, and that's what we did. Yeah. Hello, Mikey. Let me, let me touch this one because um, I know Mikey is, is, is a big historian when it comes to the game of basketball, and he loves Cheryl, and rightfully so. But when it came down to us developing a list, and I told him who my top five was, I told him it was the difference between being a basketball legend and the WNBA legend. I told him it's two different lists. I said, if you're going off just the basketball GOAT, I can hear everybody with the Cheryl Miller debates because of the legend of Cheryl. But more importantly, just like LeBron James, like longevity also matters. And when I explain to people what you truly went through, because I played 12 years overseas, and when I explain this whole breakdown to people of what you did, where you started, where you ended, and how you didn't stop, it was like, oh, no, 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 no. Now we're going to start all the way back over like I'm a rookie. 
don't 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 tell me about my age. So I want to I want to point out a few things because I know Mikey definitely wants to touch in on Cheryl, and I'm okay with that. But this is where I go with the situation. When you left college, you went to Spain first. Yes. I know you was in Spain first, and then you finished. I think you went nine seasons or maybe 10 in Italy, 10. for sure. Mm -hmm. And I know I told these people that you were averaging over 40 points, you were winning titles, you were winning MVP. And when you transitioned over to the WNBA, it was almost like you were starting over all over again, you know, because nobody really knew who Coop was at that standpoint. Now, I'm going to tell you this. When I was in ninth grade, you taught me contain. People don't know what this means. See, being a, a great container doesn't mean you can't play defense. It means you're smart. So I was a contained defender. I was our best defender, but it never showed up on the stat sheet. I didn't have stats, blocks, anything, but I cover your eyes, I'll box you out. Somebody else would get the rebound, but I'm boxing out. And they were like, well, who taught you how to do this? I would never block shots. I would cover the eyes. I said, Coop play defense like that. Coop never fouls out. Coop wanted to make sure she put everybody else in position to win based off her unselfish defense because it wasn't based off the numbers, but people don't understand that word contain. So I got my contained defense from you. That's for starters. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to, just on that point. So, you know, I, I've never been a great defensive player, but I've always been a champion and champions find a way to win. And if you know what your weakness is, then you have to be smart enough to fortify those weaknesses with technique and skill. And that's what I tried to do defensively. It's like Kim Parrott would pressure the ball. Well, if I'm not in the passing lane, it does no good, right? right? So I just tried to play smarter. And, and also, I really felt like, and look, I say this in the most humble way possible. Ain't nobody trying to outscore Coop. Ain't nobody yeah. going to outscore me. So all I really had to do was keep you to 10 to 15 points. And I can <laughs> really put up these <laughs> this 30, 40. <laughs> and balance it out gotcha right. and and coop in the beginning when you first when you were in italy who recruited you to the WNBA? i know david stern had a big hand in creating it but who really brought a contract to you said you know this is what's going on i think you should really make this switch and i mean 10 years overseas to coming back to america starting something new explain all that well, I would tell you, it's a funny story. Actually, um, I had heard about the WNBA um, and I was, wasn't sure. They weren't sure if it was going to be like a summer league. They really weren't sure. Um, I knew it was going to be a part of the NBA. So I, thought, I, I felt like it was going to be successful. So I'm over overseas playing and I'm still hearing the rumblings about the WNBA that it's actually going to happen. Before I went overseas, I tried to um, get on with the ABL because that was a professional league at the time. Um, they said that they had enough guards and they were good. And so I was like, okay, all right. So I went overseas. I go overseas. I um, hear about the WNBA. So I put together my stats. I put together an intro letter. I put together video. And I put it in the FedEx box about to ship it off. But before I did that, I put a call into the WNBA office to let them know the package was coming. So they connected me with Renee Brown. I'll never forget this. I'm, I said, yo, Renee, this is Cynthia Cooper. I, I heard this is going to be a, a league called the WNBA. I really want to play in it. I, I've already put together my stats, my resume. I put together an intro letter. I'm sending you video. She, she didn't even let me finish. She was like, Cynthia Cooper from Italy? I said, yes, I'm about to send you this. 
She said, oh, girl, you're in our top eight players. You're going to be playing in Houston. I was like, <laughs> okay, uh, well, thank you very much. She said, we need your address so we can send you the contract. Man, I was over the moon um, with the thought that, that I had an opportunity to play in the WNBA in this inaugural season. So I didn't, you know, when I came overseas, I knew what I had. When I came from overseas, I knew who I was as a basketball player. I started playing in the WNBA at 34. Mm-hmm. So I was ready. Like, I was like, all right, y'all going to let me wait. Y'all going to let me come back to America, play professional basketball in Houston, because what most people didn't know, I was already living in Houston. And you're going to pay me? <laughs> I was like, I'm in. Like, I, I'm in. I'll do that. Wow. Wow. I, I, you know, cool. You know, our podcast is called The Truth. And um, we really don't hold back on the questions we ask. And they are difficult questions. And I want to touch on something that I saw when I was a kid that, and it could be me because I dig deep into stuff. During the time when you were going into your height as Super Cooper, I think uh, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl just had her baby. Swoops just had her baby. Mm-hmm. And she was coming back. And we're talking about somebody that got the first shoe. You know, she was she was the one. She was the golden child. That's business. That's marketing. We all understand mm-hmm. that. I was all for it. I love the team you guys had. But I also felt like when she was pregnant and she was gone, they had the Rebecca Lobos. They had the Spoons. They had all these girls. They had built up Lisa Leslie that they wanted to win. And you kind of came and destroyed that. Now, Swoops came into play, and I think she was a phenomenal player, but I felt like, in my personal opinion, that politically, business-wise, they were like, okay, this is who next. Let's move you out the way. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't want her out the way. You got to come fit in with what we doing with this Coop thing. When Coop want to leave, then you can do what you want to do, but it ain't going to be no – that's how I felt. That's how our, our people felt. That's how our school felt. We hated what was going on right there. Now, I'm not saying you two had issues, but what I'm trying to say is I didn't like the way the league tried to kind of push you out, like, thank you for that intro of what that was. Now we're going to go with this. And then they tried that, and it didn't work, and then they still had to come back to save us, Coop, finals MVP again. I I threw that out there. I could be wrong, but you can correct me. So you're not wrong. Um, I think the whole plan was to get it, it to be Cheryl Swoop's team. You know, they, they got an older player from overseas. They felt like I could hold down the fort until Cheryl Swoops got back. It's just I had different plans. Yeah. And I, I, I came to play. You know, I didn't come to get the promotions and the, you know, Rebecca Lobo, the Lisa Leslie and the Cheryl Swoops type of promo. I just came to play basketball and bring my A game every night. And I realized something overseas. One thing I learned overseas is that one, I can score against three. Two, I can finish. I learned how to finish overseas. And four, you know, when you put in the work, everything else happens. You don't have to promote me. You don't have, I'm just gonna come in here and put in the work. And that's what I did. I'm not knocking anybody. You know, they thought it was her team. I just was like, you know what? I'm gonna come in here and put on work. Cause I already knew, nobody knew what I could do. Nobody knew. There were a couple players that had experienced me overseas, but for the most part, nobody knew what I could do. 
And so, yeah, there was talk, even after my first season, there was talk of me retiring after my first season. <laughs> like, yeah, got me mixed up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're the champions. I'm the regular season MVP and I'm the championship series MVP. And you think I'm, I'm ready to retire? That's the retirement? That's the, nah, man. No. So, you know, so for me, I, I, I felt it, but, you know, I felt adversity before. And you are not who they say you are. You are who you believe you are. And when I was at USC, I always believed I was a champion, even though I was coming off the bench and I was playing in the shadow of the McGee twins and Sean Miller. I was always a champion. I didn't stop being a champion. My role on that team was different. When I got to, to the WNBA, I was a champion. I knew who I was. I had developed my game. My game was a lot more complete than when I started playing overseas. Mm -hmm. So now I already know my worth. I just have to show it to you guys. And here's the thing about me. I will do anything to win. So I came out, I'm still going to put up my numbers because I know there are certain people, they're trying to outdo me. So I'm going to bring my A game every night and see if you're going to bring yours every night. Mm -hmm. That's how we became champions. That's how in our second year, we had the best winning percentage of any professional basketball team, 27 and three, 90%. So, so I'm like, all right, that's, that's what triggers you. Like, that's what motivates you. All right, I'm going to come in here every single day and put numbers up. And I want you to come in here every single day and put numbers up. <laughs> Actually, Cheryl and I, we really complimented one another because I was more of a slasher. She was more of a, a spot up shooter. She was a defender. I was a container. <laughs> we really, we really complimented one another. It was just a lot of friction, outside friction. Yeah. Like there weren't enough balls. And remember now, we had Tina Thompson as well. All, all three of us Hall of Famers. Stack right? team. Stack team. <laughs> and so it, it, it all happened because people underestimated me. Right? I was like the X factor. So they thought I was older. They knew I could play, but they were like, she's going to retire soon. And we have a young Tina Thompson ready. And then we have Cheryl Swoops post, post um, giving birth and she'll be ready to go. The, the thing is, I wasn't, I wasn't happy just winning or content winning one championship or, or two championships or, or three championships. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm in it to win it. And, you know, the, the, and so, yeah, that was my mentality. I always believe I was a champion. I was a go-to player. I can make people around me better and we could win championships. That was my role on that team. And you know what? Nobody could really take it from me. No. And, and that mentality, everything you mentioned, your college years with Cheryl and really those battles in practice. I watched you on Knuckleheads a couple weeks ago and you were also talking about how you would play growing up against guys. So tell, tell us how those practices with that stack team at college and playing against guys really just, you know, got this mentality into you. So I played against guys. And the first thing, I played in a time where guys didn't want women to play. I'll say girls. Guys yeah. wouldn't let girls play. Let me tell you, they wouldn't even let me call a game. Like I would come in the gym like a normal person. I'm like, all right, who got next? All right, I'm after you. Nah. Now you can't call. I used to have to have my brother come in to call a game, pick me on his team in order for me to play. So, wow. so for me, I, I've always had some level of hate and adversity 
to, to overcome. But you have to always keep, stay focused on your goal. You can't focus on what people are saying or what people are doing to get you off your path. So for me, I was jealous of Cheryl Miller when she came to, to USC. I was jealous because she was getting all of this hype. And remember, in my mind, I'm a champion. I'm a go-to player. But my role on this team is a six man, right? So I was, I was like, I want to be, so I worked. I put in the work. I, and, and then when I saw Cheryl Miller play, I was like, oh my God, she is great. Yeah. Like, I want to be like her. So I started working on my game. I started working on different parts of my game. I wanted to be great. And so, and once again, I never had the mentality that I was anything less just because I was playing in a different role. So the guys wouldn't let me play. Later on, I would walk in the gym. The first thing that they said, yo, Coop, you running? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm running. I got Coop. Like, because they know not only am I the score, because that's what I do, but I'm also going to make people around me better. Right? So we're going to stay on the court. Because that, you know, when you're playing pickup, that's the name of the game. Stay yeah. on the court. <laughs> you, got, you don't want to get off and, and have to wait, right? And then at USC, the thing that my coaches and my teammates loved about me is that I was clutch. I was going to be there every single game because I had put the work in in practice. And the WNBA, the same thing. That's why I was able to win with, with my team, the MVP of the championship series four years in a row. Mm -hmm. Because they knew what I was going to do with the ball. And it wasn't always shooting it. Sometimes it was setting someone up. Sometimes it was dishing to Tina to knock down her, her three-pointer or Cheryl so she could, you know, knock down her shot or we're on a fast break. You know, I assume all of those roles so that we could win championships. But I learned how to do that overseas because overseas, they don't care. Mm -hmm. You got to score. You got to, we got to win. You've got to make us better. And I play with all different types of people. They're double teaming, boxing one, they're triple team. They're being extra physical with you. And in all of that, I, I became one of the top finishers in the game sure. because they weren't going to call the foul. My coaches and my organization, it, I, I needed to score. We needed to win. That was my mentality. I brought that mentality to the WNBA. Mm -hmm. Change the culture. Change the culture. Now, I'm glad you said that because I, I want to ask another tough question. Now, Coop, I played in 18 countries. You dominated overseas. You dominated in the league. Now you're currently coaching, so you're interacting with this next generation. I coach in Europe, right? I own and I build markets for women also. So I'm going to ask you this, because this is, a, this is a, a big issue in the women's game today, from my view and my experience, because I'm hands-on in it. When I was growing up and I watched you guys play, your number one priority was the game. Today, I feel like the game is more politically driven and the game comes last. The question I have is if the business model is seeing 18,000 fans going to support Houston and now today the WNBA struggles with attendance, struggles with keeping the nice arenas, you would think that they will focus more on what you guys focus on because you were the pioneers laying the bricks. And now today I feel like they completely forgot about the sacrifice. I want to know your thoughts on the game when you were playing and the game today. And 
I'm gonna just say it, Coop. Coop. I'm gonna just say it, Coop. I'm a father. So when I take my child, because I used to work with WNBA teams. So as a father of a young lady that I want to be Coop, when I take my young lady to a game and their priorities are not basketball, it's other agendas, I'm going to take her out and I'm going to say play volleyball. This is what a lot of men say under the table that they won't say in public. I'll speak on it. So I want to know from the GOAT, I really want to know your mentality because now you're with those young ladies in the NCAA. You're working hands-on. I want to know the mindset of your generation and what's happening now because I only can judge it from a masculine point of view. I can't judge it being in those situations as a player and now as a coach and also as a mother. So there are a few things, right? So first of all, I think players are happy, satisfied, they're mm -hmm. content with underachieving. Right. They also are scared, afraid, I mean, literally fearful of making a mistake. So how can you be, get better if you're not willing to go the extra mile and make a mistake, make an adjustment, and then do it better the next time? So the one thing about me is I was never perfect. I came from the inner city. I knew I was behind because I started playing basketball late. And so I worked to get better. That leads me to my next point. Nobody wants to put in hard work anymore. Everybody wants instant gratification. They want their ESPN top 10 moment. And mm -hmm. me, I never cared about that. I only cared about being great. I cared about being great every day. So when I was in practice and when I showed up at training camp in the WNBA on the first day every single year, my coaches looked at me crazy. My teammates looked at me crazy. And I say I showed up. Actually, I was already in the gym working out. So I worked out before they practiced. I then practiced with them. And then I took the rookies and we played one-on-one -on -one after practice. Mm -hmm. So because, I, because this is my profession, I'm trying to be great. I'm not trying to be good. Y'all trying to be good. I'm trying to be great. I think that's what's wrong with this generation. Everything is on Twitter now. So when I talk to my team, I tell my team, stop trying to be perfect. Make a mistake, make an adjustment and get better. Get better. And that's how you become great. That's how you get better. You didn't come here with these skills. You have to learn these skills in order for you to have a complete, a, a complete game. And so I, I really stress, and, and you know, the other thing, let me talk about underachieving. You know, so many kids think they're great. And then when they, when they fail at something, they go so low. Mm -hmm. They get depressed. They get, I'm like, dude, you just missed a shot. The world didn't end. Mm -hmm. make an adjustment if it was short shoot it hard if it was straight shoot with more arch I mean just make an adjustment do it better the next time but never be happy underachieving mm -hmm. you cannot do the same thing and repeat the same mistake over and over and over again and expect a different result it's not gonna happen in order for something to happen different you are going to have to do something different so when I coach and when I played, I always adjusted my game. You think I played the same against men that I did against women? No. Men are quicker. They're stronger. They jump higher. They're so athletic. And when I played, they, they, they got too, they, their pride is off the chart. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be extra physical with me. And that's okay. I used to brush that off all the time. Anyway, my, my, my point being, 
this new generation, and I, I, and I would encourage you to think about this. You know, you can't even coach these kids nowadays because then they'll go into a state of depression or go tell mom mm -hmm. or go tell. But really the truth of the matter is, if you come to a, a job and you're late, you're gonna get fired. If you don't do a presentation, you're gonna get fired. If so, if you're not doing your work in class, and I bet you, that's the same thing in the real world is called firing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, you come to a WNBA game, the problem with most W, no, I won't say most WNBA players, it's just this new generation. The WNBA has a tremendous amount of talent, tremendous amount of talent. They just don't have, they're not bought in like I was. When I came here, I knew I wasn't going to get paid the most money. I knew I wasn't going to get, you know, all of these endorsement deals and this, that, and the other. I, but that's not what I play for. When I was playing pickup ball in Watts, when I was at Venice Beach playing pickup, I didn't play for the check. I played because I love it. And mm. then I was always in the gym because <laughs> I want to get better. And I, one kid asked me at a basketball camp, she said, well, what happens? Do you miss your friends when you're practicing so hard all the time and you're in the gym? What about the mall? And what about, I said, listen to me. I said, I'm in the gym because I want to be in the gym. And if you ain't in the gym, you're not my friend. Yeah. It's just that simple. That's if true. you're not, if you're not doing doing what I'm doing, if you're not supporting what I'm doing, because I'm gonna support you you too. But if you're not supporting me, then we're not friends. I, I want the people that's in the gym working as hard as me as my friends that have the same mentality. I want them as friends. Yeah. And Mikey, yeah. Mikey, I don't Mikey, I don't want to cut you off. And Coop, this is not a question, this is a statement. Mikey, I always find it amazing that all great people say what Coop said. You hear Kobe say it, Mike said, Kevin Garnett was the one I saw. It's always the best that work harder than the worst. But yet, in this generation, they feel like they can do it flip-flop. I'm like, you see the greats put in all this work, but y'all feel like y'all can reinvent the wheel by doing it the other way around? Coop, when I coach national team and when I coach in Europe, I tell these girls all the time, don't be the reason that 2030 version of you doesn't get an opportunity because you right. pissed on it. I say right. it all the time. I'm sorry, Mikey. Go ahead, brother. I wanted to say that. No, no, it's all good. And I mean, Coop, I got to show off this picture of you with a bunch of legends. <laughs> I know you've seen this picture before. You, Michael yeah. Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Young Mello, Young LeBron, Moses Malone. You being around all those goats. Tell me about that night and kind of just your interactions with all of them. So that was a huge Nike event. And, you know, at the time I was pretty, pretty um, big at, at, in the WNBA and Nike invited me up to um, help send off. And, and it was a tribute to um, Phil Knight. And so they invited me up and it, it was an amazing night. And it's so funny because all of us spoke the same language. It was like a magnet, like we were just drawn to each other. And we just was hanging out and talking basketball and talking winning and talking, you know, how I would get better picking each other's mind. Um, and, and it's so funny because the guys would call me over. They'd be like, Coop, come here, Coop. I, you know me, I'm like, that's Michael Jordan. <laughs> Wait, let me look around. That's MJ. Uh, but everybody was so great. And I love, I love being around greatness because you can relax and feel good about your mentality. People don't look at you crazy. They don't, they're not 
you know, you're not the outcast. You're just a part of this elite group that have the same mindset and y'all just vibe. I'm gonna tell you a really funny story about that trip. So I'm I'm in the airport, well, I'm in the airport, I see this guy. I'm like, all right, whatever. I get to the hotel, I see the guy and his family. So his wife, his two kids, they're checking into the hotel in front of me. So I think we're at the same event. I just, I, I see him, I know him from somewhere. And then sure enough, I check in, they check in, we get to the elevator, we're in the elevator together. And all of a sudden, I got it. I said, Dulce Maldini, Paolo Maldini. Now think about this for a second. This black chick in the elevator with this Italian family and one of the best soccer players ever to play. He played for Milan AC. One of the top, he started playing pro at 17. And this black girl in Portland, Oregon recognizes him. And she speaks Italian. <laughs> should have saw the kids. The kids' eyes were like this. The wife was like, huh? He just started laughing. It was one of the most amazing moments of my life. Wow. And, and speaking Italian, when you would interact with Kobe, would you, would you speak Italian with him? I know he was very into that. Yeah, so Kobe and I, Kobe and I always spoke Italian together. Um, we, we would be at all-star games in, in the middle of 20,000 people, and we're just, he's shooting on the court. He's not listening to anybody because Kobe has that type of laser focus, right? So he's not listening. I'll start speaking to him in Italian. He looked, oh, what's up, cool? So, so yeah, we talk in Italian all the time. One, for him to practice, and two, for me to practice. But it's kind of our, it, it was always our little thing that we would always speak Italian to each other. I want to go, I want to go back to back on a, on a question, Coop, that, that leads into each other. But I have to focus on the one big thing that I think God placed for you. It was just amazing timing. How does it feel to be the first Hall of Fame player from the WNBA? You know what? It's, it feels great. It, it feels amazing. Uh, words can't accurately describe the feeling when you, 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 you get inducted into the Hall of Fame. But let me just say, you guys, you got to remember, most of my career was played in the shadows. So I was the sixth man in college, even though we won two national championships. I started playing basketball late in high school. We won a state championship there. And then I go overseas, and for 11 years, nobody see me, right? I do play USA basketball a little bit, but nobody really sees me for 11 years, 11 seasons. Then I come into the WNBA and I have an amazing run in the WNBA. I don't know, in my mind, I don't know that that's enough to make it to the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. So when I got the, the nod, I saw on the screen of ESPN underneath that Cynthia Cooper, one of the finalists for, I was like, really? <laughs> Me? So to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, it wasn't about being the first WNBA player, it was about, I never thought I had enough, I had put in enough work in America to be considered great enough to make it to the Hall of Fame. Right. You know, I, I dreamed of it. It was, it was, it was, yes, I want, but, you know, I'm over here thinking, I'm, I'm a kid from Watts in the Hall of Fame. Like, you don't dream of being in the Hall of Fame. That's too big of a dream. Right? You're just trying to further your education so you can get out the inner city and have a better life for you and your family. And, and, and then in 2010, I'm inducted into the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. I did tap Mike on the butt when I passed by, like, yo, I'm in here, boy. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm in here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want I want to say this. When I left college, it was never my dream. And this is me personally. It was never my dream to make it to the NBA. And I, I, I'll say it openly. Thank God for Flip Saunders and Sam Mitchell for giving me the invite to finally, you know, make it to training camp. I just wasn't good enough. But, you know, I, I got to be around those guys. But my goal when I left college was to see the world. I wanted to be a professional athlete my whole life. I have a passion and I was in love with the game, but I wanted to see the world. So when I watched your journey, it always motivated me to want to go the long way first because I would have never made it at the beginning. I wanted to go through that whole, you know, that, that whole transgression of life to be in the, the furnace, so to speak, to be molded into the man I was because I didn't get to uh, NBA until I was 28, 29. And I made it cool after I left the Jones Cup. That's how they saw me. Yep. And that's where I saw you, Coop. I don't know if you remember, yep. but I seen you in LA. I got you and I'm like, Coop, I'm going to uh I'm going to Jones Cup just like you did. And you was like, Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's how they saw me. Yes. And and that's how I made it. The Jones Cup was my very first international trip. Yeah. My first time getting a passport going out of the country was with the Jones Cup. It was my best experience, my best experience in life. You know, and it, it got me that opportunity. But what I'm trying to say is our young people don't realize that the USA is this big and they need to get out. I became a man when I went out. I learned how to not read. Of course, we went to college or whatever, but I learned how to see what I was reading when I left because overseas time is slow time. I learned how to appreciate other cultures and it helped me to develop my game because I had nothing but time to be in my game. So I always wanted to say that to you. Your journey overseas taught me about the fire and the growth because I watched you grow and transition. And when you made it, I have never witnessed a person that's 34, even though 34 is not old, and basketball life is super old. But when you got there, it's like you hit a second wind of energy, like I'm 22 all over again. And I was like, do y'all see how Coop is moving? Like she is... Her her energy is is make like you know when Kobe went through his thirty four year old MVP run, we all went outside like I'm dunking on everybody this week. <laughs> Kobe out here going crazy. That's how it was with you. I'm like yo, Coop is starting over. She's a rookie and she's behaving like a twenty two year like the zeal and passion. You can't deny the, the greatness of this woman. It's like. It's like reading the story of Christ. You know, everywhere he went, the impact was just unreal. Ali, wherever he went, people were just like, I just saw something. That's how we felt when you played the game. When you talked about the game, it was like, I love the game too, Coop, whatever you say. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. You know what? That, That was my goal. My goal was for people not to just see me score or see me fall in love with the game like I love the game. Like fall in love with hard work, like I love hard work. Mm-hmm. Fall in love with not being perfect, just wanting to be great. You know, fall in love with the experiences. You know, when I was overseas, one of my big lessons, I learned about me, right? I learned how to be, be um, uh, confident in my own skin. I know it's shocking, but I wasn't a confident person. I wasn't a confident player. I had played in the shadows. I had been in the inner city. So I had a lot of personal hangups, 
going overseas, immersing myself in the Italian culture, traveling all over Europe, all over the world, really helped me be comfortable in my own skin. And once I was comfortable in my own skin, I could truly appreciate the experiences of the different cultures overseas. And I was in awe. Man, I took so many pictures and just lived as an Italian in Italy, not as an American in Italy. Mm-hmm. All right, Coop. Now it's time. The segment we call Truth for Truth, where we put you on the spot about topics from your career. These are going to be the tough questions, right, JB? So <laughs> that being said, Coop, do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth and nothing but the truth in this segment? I do. You can't JB, handle the truth. Question one, Coop. Who's the GOAT? Who's Me. the GOAT? Women's basketball, not WNBA. Who's the GOAT? I'm, I'm the GOAT. I love it. And why, Coop? And why? Well, I'm the GOAT because I, I put in the work. I came from a certain place. I, I didn't come from perfection. I didn't come from having all of the resources. I just put in the work in order to be compared to everyone else, right? And then I didn't set out to be great. I set out to be the best version of myself every single day. Yeah. And it happened to transform into greatness. And can nobody hold me? Nobody. <laughs> nobody. I'm, 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 man, I'm 12, woman, child. I'm, look, I'm 12 years old again. I just want you to know that just happened right then. <laughs> I broke I broke cafe and everything like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Look, look. How does, and this is a tough question, how does the WNBA get rid of the LA Lakers or Boston Celtics? Why is Houston not still a franchise? I think that was a horrific oversight and they let something really valuable go. I thought that they could have done some different things. Even if you just move the franchise somewhere else for a period of time and and then move it back. But you should have never let the Houston Comets dissolve. And, um, and that was a huge mistake for the WNBA. As, and equally, I would say, you know, like the NBA, the NBA really taps into their pioneers and their older players, the players that are retired players, and yeah. help the retired players help promote the league, whether it be going to these golf tournaments or on, on the different shows, uh, you know, doing media. And I think the WNBA hasn't truly bought into that concept yet. And as, and as a result, the passion I have, I don't get to give to the WNBA broadcast all the time. You know, I don't get to give to the rookies. You know, I, I spoke to Jewel Lloyd during her, her run this year. They won the world championship in the WNBA. And, and I just was like, Jewel, you got this, man. You're the gold mamba. You got this. You just have to believe you have it. Right. First and foremost, and then everybody else will fall in line. You know, everybody's a fan of the NBA and I'm not knocking the WNBA at all, but the numbers are a lot less. Um, The pay difference is always spoken about and all that. What does the WNBA have to do to really, you know, step up their game where it comes to ticket sales and, you know, so all that could be matched up with the, the NBA. I would say marketing. I would say marketing and I, I would say invest. But the players got to invest as well. You can't just win championships and get fans. You've got to invest in your community. You've got to invest in the WNBA. Some of these things don't have, you shouldn't have to pay these players every single time you ask them to do a promotion. Marketing is going to help everybody. So mm-hmm. when, I, when I first came into the WNBA, I did whatever they asked me to do. 
community work, go go on this, do this commercial shoot, do this commercial shoot. I was all over the place because I knew that I was laying the groundwork for a 15-year-old, an eight-year-old, someone not born yet to play and have opportunity to play in the WNBA. That's what my role was. We need these new players to have that mentality. Sure. These players right now need to have that mentality. And that also is a work ethic, right? It's a work ethic. It's something that you, you're, not, you're not doing things to shame your league. You're doing things to build in your league. You're doing things to promote your league. And listen, it doesn't always have to be in, in, monetary, in a monetary form immediately. Mm-hmm. You'll get that pay. Look at, the, look at what they make now. I made nowhere near that. But the work I put in yeah. helped them get to where they are today. That's right. right. And so that's the mentality we women have to have. And then some of it is patience as well. Think about the NBA at 50, right? When the NBA was 25 years old, yeah. right? Look at how, how those players got paid. Look at how, and they complain about it all the time, right? They're like, I didn't get home, got paid $10,000. And now they're getting 14 million, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the sign of, of a league growing. And the WNBA is still in this infancy. So we have to be patient enough, you know, push when necessary, push when we can, push for growth, but also recognize that we're still a young league. Well, I mean, I'm going to say it, you know, before Mikey wraps it up, I truly, truly appreciate what you did for the game of basketball, not female basketball, just the game of basketball. And you are the sole reason why I invest my time my money and my effort into the ladies. I get very frustrated. I get very annoyed, but it always goes back to scripture with me when just give me one and you're my one. So if I had coop, that means in 2030, it can be another coop. So I got to keep pushing for my ladies. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate, uh, we appreciate it so much. You, coop. We appreciate you, coop. I got to hop in with one more, JB, just before we go. If Cheryl Miller stayed healthy and she got to the WNBA, one, would she be the GOAT? And two, what kind of numbers would she have been putting up? Good question. Yeah, I, I think if Cheryl Miller had stayed healthy and made it to the WNBA, she would have been playing at age 33, and I would have been playing at, playing at age 34, and I still would have been the GOAT. Was that, <laughs> that wasn't the question? No? Okay. The only reason is, here's the reason. I'm, 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 I have – so – Cheryl Miller, when she started playing in college, she was great. One of the great, the absolute greatest player I've ever seen play basketball. Like I said, I was jealous of her. I wanted to be like her. So I went and put in the work, right? But Cheryl's career was already here. My career was here going up. So, so by the time, you know, I, it, would, it would be close, but I'd be giving her numbers too. No, I'm just mm-hmm. she would be, she would listen, you guys, Cheryl Miller was one of the greatest players I've ever seen play. She could really, really play. And she played both sides of the ball. She was the first player at her size to, to do the things that now we take for granted, right? She handled the ball. She shot the ball. Well, she finished around the rim. She played great defense. Actually, I say around the rim. She finished over the rim. So she used to practice on dunking in, in games before the Candace Parkers or the, you know, that's what she did in the 80s. Yeah. So, yes, she would have been great. She would have been great in the WNBA. I don't know if she had been, would have been cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but she would have been great. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was episode three of the Truth Podcast. Stay tuned for another interview for a second part on this episode with Chastity Melvin. Coop, as Jermaine said, and I want to thank you personally. Thank you so much for joining us and spitting the truth with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again. Take care, you guys. All right, Coop. And now our next guest for part two of Women's Appreciation Day, JB, Chastity Melvin, WNBA legend, former all-star, one of NC State's greatest products. Welcome to the Truth Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Now, now, now not one of. She is regarded as the greatest player to go with the Wolfpack. Let's just call it what it is. Third all-time in scoring, first in rebounds. We're going to call it what it is. She's the greatest player to ever go through that. Go ahead. Co-sign, Mel. Go ahead. Uh, no, nah, I got I got some girls that, you know, Andrea Stinson, that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to become a pro, score 50 in a game. You know, I, I don't know. She's probably probably the greatest. Yeah, but you you can't you can't do it. That's what we do. You know, we, we do the voting. LeBron, we don't let LeBron vote for himself, so you don't get a vote. I said what it was. Okay, we're going to keep going. But, but gonna... no, but I do feel like my jersey should be retired. I ain't going to lie. Statues. All that. We need statues. We need all that. I'm, I'm pro. You know what? We, me and Mikey got the whole, you know, we're going to keep going. <laughs> now, we had Coop on here before, and I told everybody what my top five was. Mikey gave his spiel. I want to go right into it. Who are the top five WNBA players of all time? Not women's basketball, WNBA players. And if Coupe number one, we're cutting you off. <laughs> uh, number, one, number one, I'm going to raise the roof. Number one, for, for sure. Uh, just as, you know, a young buck watching her raise the roof, you know, that she was everything. And uh, the way she dominated on the court, obviously, she will always be number one in my book. Uh, number two, Wow, I gotta throw a post player out there, uh, <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm definitely not gonna put myself in the top five. But uh, it's a close tie. But I gotta go with um. Dang it, it's hard. It's hard. It's a hard one. I I really gotta tie at number two with the post player. I'm gonna throw in there. Uh uh, we need five. <laughs> we need five. I don't want to hear. It. You know, if I give you, if I give you mine, maybe it'll make it better for you. Okay, so, yeah, help me out. Go uh, with your uh, Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. you. Coop, Coop was number one. Diana, Diana Taurasi was my number two. Lisa Leslie was my number three. Uh, Maya Moore was number four. And Candace Parker was number five for me. Wow. That's my five. Wow. WNBA. <laughs> WNBA all-time. Wow. You know, it's going to be... <laughs> See, it's hard for me to give a top five because my top five are going to be the people that gave me the most problems. I didn't tell you to take my top five. I, I <laughs> asked you what was your top five. I mean, oh. top two notably are Cynthia Cooper and Diana Taurasi, one and two. Yeah. Respectively. Well, as, a matter of, as a matter of fact, Melvin, who, who gave you all those problems then? Who were some... I mean, the player that gave me the most problem was Yolanda Griffith. You know, yeah. when she's got a championship, and it's, I, I really, really, really feel like she doesn't get a lot of super, you know, credit. But she was a beast. I mean, Lisa Leslie was great. Lisa Leslie, also, you know, I, I mean, you got to put her on there in the top five because, you know, she won championships with L.A. But, yo, yo and Sacramento, you know, Sacramento never gets publicity. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, 
you know, you just go under the radar. But her and Tisha Pinachero together, they were just, I mean, yo was just tough for me. I did not get any sleep the night before the game, like every time I played her, you know. Yeah. So, um, but I obviously got Lisa Leslie in the top five, Cynthia Cooper, Diana Taurasi. You got to put Cheryl Swoops in there uh, in the top five. I do anyways. I mean, hands down, Swoops could just get her shot off. She was just great. I mean, she really was. Um, and then I got to throw a point guard in there. <laughs> I got to throw a point guard. I got to give them love. And it's all so tough. But right now, I mean, top five, you got to give it to Sue Bird with her longevity and, yeah, oh, yeah. and sealing the deal with those championships. And I've known Sue for a long time, played with her in Russia. And not only is she just a silent killer, but she's she's a silent assassin off the court. Like, she's really cool people. Like, you know, you look at her demeanor, you're just like, She's not really a killer, you know, like a Diana Taurasi or Coop, but she really is. Um, right. And her IQ is off the charts, so in that, in that top five. So I got Coop, Diana, Lisa, although Yo was the hardest for me. Uh, Yo and uh, Lauren Jackson. You know, Lauren Jackson's career got sh cut short. I think it would be a tie with her and Lisa Leslie as being the best center. Right. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Cheryl Swoops and uh, Sue Bird. But it, it's tough. You know, I love Mike too. It's it's really tough though. I like I like the the Sue Bird definitely. Um, but but I, I feel where you're going. My my question is this, because a, a lot of people don't know. You know, um, you've really done the trifecta as far as being a great basketball player, then transitioning into coaching. You're currently on the um, staff with Phoenix, so you have the opportunity to be around one of the goats, you know, in Tarasi, but you also there with BG, with Brittany, and you get to see really who is supposed to be the Luol Cinder of our generation, you know, in the WNBA, of course, of being 6'9", and being able to dunk in the games and things of this nature. I would like to know what's the difference in cultures and error, because when I was coming up and I saw you guys play, and I played against the women of that time, it seemed like a whole nother level of competitiveness and passion and love for the game. When today, it just seems like a lot of entitlement and crybaby stuff. So that's me and my experiences. I don't want to hear from myself at this standpoint. I want to hear from somebody that played the game in that era, that's watching this era, and also coaching at the highest level right now. What's, what's your outlook on where the game has gone? Well, I think it's just, you know, a change in mentality. Obviously, everyone kind of copies the NBA. Uh, obviously, I don't think FIBA has copied them too much. They still have a, a little bit of physical play. Obviously, that's why I feel like Luka is really good in this league and was well prepared for this league. Uh, you know, they made rules where you can't touch, you can't, there's not a lot of physicality. Um, obviously, Coach and I got to learn that this year with Brittany Griner, like, you know, the bumping and just the physical contact that we had with Coop and I played, you know, you get hit, you go to the lane, you finish. It wasn't a foul. It wasn't, you know, there was a lot more, you know, physical play. And so now a lot of these young ladies kind of shy away from the physical contact. And then, you know, if you want to get physical on defense, it's a foul. So it's just, you know, I think it's just the way the style of the game has gone. But also the young adults did – I feel like these young athletes, they, they didn't play like we played, JB. Right. You know, like, uh, if you look at uh, uh, LaMelo Ball 
coming in. You know, you could tell he played out there with his brother, so he played all the time. Now a lot of these young athletes, they get a trainer, and they're working out with their trainer for yeah. two hours, and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, our trainers were the dirt courts. Our trainers yeah. was pickup, five yeah. on five. Like, we were constantly playing basketball. Um, so a lot of people want to say, well, they have all these great moves. And I'm like, they have moves. Like, everyone's trying to Euro step, even if two people are in front of you. Instead of just driving and getting a straight right. <laughs> line drive, getting a layup and an and one, you know, they're, they're forcing crazy shots because, I mean, they have a skill set, but they, have, they don't have a feel for the game. And I truly believe that's what's missing. We had a feel for the game. You know, whatever defense can't ball, you know, Coop, all the great players, myself, yo, like, it's just different moves. You just figure it out. Yeah. Now, if they got to figure out another move, you can forget it. <laughs> like, if it's no, not true, no, that's, you know, that's a great point. Great um, point. It was just we had natural instinct from playing so many games, whether it was pickup, whether it was outside, whether it was at the park. You know, we just learned that from natural instinct. And I think that's what's missing with a lot of the players today. So is is that credited also to this social media era? You know, I'm I'm in this younger generation. I know I know how much social media could take people over. Does that kind of hover over the ladies as well? I think it's to a certain extent. I mean, the ladies have to battle a whole lot when it comes to social media and how they play on the court, uh, more so than the guys. Uh, although I have heard a lot of the guys are insecure and, and working with some of the G League guys, I see they're kind of, you know, hesitant about it as, as well. But, you know, we're getting made fun of on social media. You know, we look too physical. We're manly. We're this. this you know, they're they're promoting all the gay, uh, the gay community with the WNBA. So there's so many stereotypes with us that come with the social media and then on top of that if you have a bad game then you know it's like <laughs> it's like yeah. 10 to 1 you know you're fighting all these stereotypes and you're trying to become the best uh, athlete that you can be not to say that the guys don't face a lot of those challenges too but I think that sometimes you know they're very they're so concerned with how they look on the court and that some of them won't even risk failure or yeah. looking bad or having a bad game like for us we knew, I mean, coming in, the rookies always knew the vets were going to, like, they were going to mold you. You know, they were going to beat your butt. You know, like, they were going to kick your ass, really. You know, put it not to put it lightly, but like like Diana Taurasi said, she wants to kill the rookies when they came in. I don't, like, in this day and age, the league is so young for the NBA and the WNBA that you don't have that. You don't get the rookies coming in and getting beat up and getting, like, taught, like, hey, it's not an easy way. Like, you, you know, they're just getting contracts. They're getting the money. And they don't really have to fight through any hurdles. And so I think that hurts them in the long run. Um, and uh, I think, I mean, I think that's a huge issue. Like, we had to fight. We had to, we had to earn our right to start. So if you came in and you were starting, when Diana Taurasi came in and she was starting, you, you know, you were really good. Now you can get, you know, drafted. You can come in and start for a team. And you may not be that skilled, but it, it's kind of just given to you for some of these athletes. Uh, all of all of that is just so well said. I mean, so many great points in that, and I, I totally agree with everything you said. But I want to go backwards in something you just said. Now, I'm a big supporter of women's basketball, and I know a lot of men are, especially male basketball players who are big supporters. And most of our support came from your era because we saw Swoops, we seen Coop, we saw the foundation, we seen the women that really broke their back for these new women to come in and I feel like, in my personal opinion, that they are tarnishing all the hard work that was put in because it's a 
and this is me speaking from a male perspective because the men speak undertone. They might not say it publicly, but it's being said. You don't want to support people that are rebelling against help. So I have a daughter. I take my daughter to a, you know, a, we're not going to call team names, to a, to a LA Galaxy game in the WNBA. And I walk my daughter in there and I say, hey, I want you to watch such and such and such because I remember Coop. I remember Melvin. I remember Spoon. It was never a social thing. It was always a hoop thing. So when I go in there and it's not what I remember, I'm walking out because there's too many political issues being driven and not enough basketball issues being driven. So my question is, at what point do the leaders or the teachers say, hey, you guys are missing what this thing was really about and you're going in the direction that your producers, as far as the consumers that make you money, they don't want to see, which is why they call it masculine, but they don't really want to say what it's really about. You guys don't love the game like we love the game, so we're not going to support you. Well, um, I think, I mean, I think it's two things. You know, the WNBA is not as easily, as, well, for, for some would say, it's not as easy to market as the NBA. Uh, the NBA, my sister worked for the NBA, you know, it was just call up any company, call anyone and just be like, oh, I work with so-and-so for the NBA. And it's like, okay, how can we support? Right. Well, how can we sponsor? How can, you know, with the WNBA, it's like a, a laundry list of things to even get your foot in the door for any type of sponsorships or anything because of the narrative and uh, across the board, just women being professional athletes. So I think the WNBA prides and just, I believe they pride and champion themselves on because we take on so many social causes. And a lot of times, a lot of women will tell you in business and in corporate, like, why do the women always have to take on social causes when they're in, you know, in professional corporate, it goes across the board. Like, why can't we just be really good at our jobs and do our jobs? Because men in those same positions, they're not championing all these causes. <laughs> if anything, they're totally against them and they're still getting tons of money and tons of support. And the fans, you know, be mad for a week and, and be back. So um, I think for us, I think, you know, to champion as far as the LGBT community, to champion, you know, being activists and all the social uh, injustice that's going on, you know, that, that bodes well for us because some people want to see women do more than just be professional athletes and be really great on the court. They're like, well, you're women. You should show kind of like the motherly or like the old Southern stereotypes of how women should be, you know, abreast of all the social issues that are going on. So I think that goes in. I think that goes into it some. And, you know, the players want to brand themselves and, and, and showcase. And sometimes that might get in the way. You know, when we started, we were so excited because – for me growing up, there, were, there weren't professional leagues. Coop was over in Italy for the best part of her career. I mean, well, some would say, you know, when she was averaging 50 a game, you know, overseas. So for us, when we got in the league, it was just like, we got to make this grow. We got we to gotta show people we can play. Like, we got next. I thought that was the best slogan for the league because it just shows, like, okay, the men's league has been here, but we got next and we can ball. And so that's what we really focus on. And now – um, not just for, you know, the WNBA players, a lot of the NBA guys, you know, they're branding themselves outside of the court. They're you know, thinking about other things more so than just that one focus on the court. Um, and so I think that's what, 
I think that's just hard. And for some people that come to watch the game, they're seeing that, you know, we had a lot of people like, we don't want to hear about Breonna Taylor, yada, yada, yada. We want to see people play. You know, they wanted to just be about basketball. And at the end of the day, that's the word the world is coming to. And that's where the, these young people, and which I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with them using their voices. But at the end of the day, I also believe that basketball should always be first and foremost, especially when you're still building a league. Um, the NBA wasn't the NBA, and a lot of people don't know that. The NBA is, wasn't the same NBA that it was 20, 30 years ago. Right. You know, they struggled, and they, they had to clean up their act. They had to do certain things to become that billion-dollar industry. And so right. I don't want the girls to lose sight of that either. Um, but, um, JB, to, to really be honest, you know, the young kids, they don't know. Like, the NBA always has the, the history of Bill Russell – you know, Iceman, George Gervin out in San Antonio. So they have videos that, you know, NBA TV used to play all the old games. Like no one's playing the, our old games of Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops. Uh, you know, no one's seeing those old games with Nikki Teasley when she was point guard for LA. Like she's right. another great point guard. I mean, there's so many great players that are, that are doing the things that a lot of these players are doing today. And everyone's like, oh, these, these ladies are so much better. It's just no one. It's like, if you become a fan of the WNBA, today you're just going to think oh wow these are the girls that can play and then like mm -hmm. they don't know about melvin they don't know about Coop. they you know they don't know about yolanda griffith that's sitting on uh you know the sidelines for boston college now as an assistant coach like they don't know how great she was so i, I wish we could get like a WNBA vault where you know the real true fans would watch it sometimes espn could throw some old games on there and then people would be like even the younger players would look and be like Oh dang! I didn't even know about Nikki Teasley. Yeah, you know? right. like I didn't know you're she right. was a um, dropper. You know, it wasn't just Tisha or Tisha Pinatero. Like a lot of point guards don't know about her. So you know, at the end of the day, it's um, I think just the way we're marketing, and a lot of people don't get to see the history of the game. That the young the young girls growing up, the young girls who idolize WNBA players now, they just they don't they don't know that part of history where the NBA guys do know. They yeah. always have someone to be compared to or like, well, you can't do it like Mike. You can't do it like, you know, Chris Webber. You know, you can't do it like so-and-so. Like, we don't have that. We just have, like, Sue Bird's the greatest. Right. <laughs> we don't know about Tisha Pinatero, Nikki Teasley, you know, and other point guards. And so, or, you know, they'll, they'll talk about some of the, the best post players today. You know, Brittany Griner was the greatest. But, you know, they don't talk about Margot Didek that was, you know, 7-2, couldn't stop her you know, mm -hmm. Polish player, you know, like different players like that. So the comparisons aren't there because of, no one knows the history. You know, Chester, you took a major leap after your playing career. You worked for the Hornets in the NBA for their G League affiliate. You're an assistant, first woman, you know, in their NBA system. How important was that? And how was it dealing with all these guys and getting that respect? It was funny, you know, I mean, I got JB's respect, so it was it was no problem having, having the respect with the guys in the G League. Um, for me, it was just a great opportunity because it, it got me close to the pro game again, and that was always my one of my goals once I retired. I wanted to coach. Uh, if I did coach, at first I never really wanted to coach, but if I did, I wanted to coach on the pro level because I just felt like I was more close to that you know, as far as playing overseas in Europe and just hanging around. Like when I played overseas in Europe, I was always hanging around the, the, the male athletes. You know, we all hung together, as JB knows. I mean, we were a family over there. So I know the stories. I know their work ethic. So for me, I wasn't intimidated as far as working with the guys. And once they understood I knew basketball, you know, like I'm coaching, I'm telling them something, they're like, okay, what else? That's the cool thing I think with guys like, you know, they're always trying to look for that extra edge where they can be better. 
you know, with girls, you could, like with some of the young ladies I coach, especially in college, I would tell them something. They're like, oh, I, I don't know if I can do that. You know, a guy like, oh, I can do that. I can do 10 times that, even though they can't, they don't have the talent or the skill level. But, you know, you can't tell them they can't do something. So it was fun coaching the guys. And and um, I really enjoyed it. And once they understood, like, wow, she really know the game. And, she, and, they, and the coaches, when they saw I love basketball as much as them, they were like, oh, okay. I remember one day, in the office and I was sitting there and they, we were talking about, you know, it was Christmas or what we were going to do. And if we were dating anyone, and I was like, you know, I'm just waiting on someone that's okay with me watching basketball. They're like, Chance, why are you single? I'm like, I'm just waiting for someone to, that's okay with me watching basketball and just having tunnel vision. And they were like, well, good luck with that. You know, everybody else in the office like, you know what I mean? So I love the game. And once they realize my passion for the game, you know, people are going to respect that. You know, it's, it's, it's something amazing. Okay. Let me let me say it a different way. I've had several conversations with current WNBA players. I've had several conversations with professionals that play overseas. Mikey will sit here and tell you, when we talk to Coop, there's a light in her eyes when you say basketball. When we talk to you, it's a passion in you when it comes to the game. I do not see this light in these kids. <laughs> it's just I'm going to use it because I need social media followers. I want to I wanna use this so I can campaign myself to start my clothing line. It's like, I know you're a fraud. I'm not buying a ticket. That's right. what they need to understand. When Mike, <laughs> Mikey's never met Coop, when Mikey sat here and heard Coop five minutes, he's like, this woman loves the game. That's what we yeah. know. We know that as ball players, as people that love the game, you have to be a fanatic. When I talk about basketball, I can go into space. I don't feel yeah. that way about these kids. So I agree with a lot of, of what you said. You opened my eyes a lot to looking at it from that perspective of them not having what we had. We got to see it. And our league talks about the history of our people. I guess it needs to be more education. Like, I can't blame somebody. It's almost like taught behavior. I can't blame somebody from not understanding something. But I'm not there like you're there. So your perspective to me is helping me be more understanding of what's going on. Because I just don't know. I don't get it. You know? <laughs> now, I, th I think, I mean, I believe, I mean, coaching the young ladies and just obviously watching them in the bubble, they're just as passionate. Uh, I just think. I think there's just a difference with this young generation as far as their confidence and as far as that, uh, like it's just a kind of toughness they're missing. And um, right. that's probably because of AAU and, you know, everyone getting, you know, the first place trophy and everyone wins, you know, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. He talked about that mentality. JB, we didn't grow up like that. We were crying. Like there was only one place, you know, <laughs> there was only one trophy <laughs> and you had to watch everybody get that one trophy. But that, that built that inner toughness or drive to be like, I want that trophy. But now, you know, everybody gets a trophy, you know, for, for participating. So, you know, I just think they don't have that. And I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if it's anyone's fault. It's just a change in generations and a change in the way the game is played. You know, like we, we, you know, our parents told us, Hey, to the coach, do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, you come home, you want to talk about stats. Our, our parents be like, well, I looked out there, you weren't playing defense. You didn't get rebounds, you know, yeah. but now as the parents be like, Oh, you should have scored, you know? So mm -hmm. it's just the whole change in mentality and I, it does hurt the kids. And, you know, some of the really great athletes get that drive, um, you know, from somewhere or somewhere else, and they have to find it on their own. 
it was building to us. I want to get thoughts on LaMelo Ball. The Hornets taking him at number three, and, you know, you, you had ties with that franchise. So, so go into that for us. I, I couldn't believe Michael Jordan did it. You know, he, he drafted LaMelo Ball, and uh, I, I, will have, I know everyone hates on LaVar. I've been watching this story from the beginning. I've been on the Facebook. Uh, I've been a Facebook fan from watching the whole family. Um, I, I'm okay with LaVar because of the way he treats his wife, and if everyone knows the background of that story, then, you know, you kind of see the other side of that guy. But uh, I like LaMelo Ball. With, I like them drafting him with that pick. You know, Charlotte is one of those uh, – so, I mean, I'm from North Carolina. It's the country. It's conservative. Um, it's not a big market. But I think he'll bring a lot of excitement there with Devontae Graham and some of those other young guys. And um, obviously, the head coach for the Charlotte Hornets, you know, fun guy. Loves, you know, loves to give them space and opportunity and not put, you know, handcuffs on the guys. So I think he'll fit in great with that system. And, you know, if Lonzo Ball wants to sign up there next year, I think that'll be great, too. There you go. <laughs> All right, Mrs. Melvin. Now it's time for the hardball questions. JB's favorite part of this whole thing. Welcome to Truth for Truth on the Truth Podcast, where we put you on the spot about topics from your career. Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth and nothing but the truth in this segment? I, I, I will tell the truth. Nothing but the truth. You can't handle you the All truth. Right, JB, take it over. All right. There's five seconds on the clock. On your right, you got Tarasi. On your left, you got Coop. When you come out of the huddle, who are you giving the ball to? I am going to give the ball to Diana. Woohoo! Coop's going to kill you. <laughs> She's going to kill me, though. To Diana. Coop's going to kill you. Coop, I, Coop, is, Coop is a score. Coop can get, you know, any bucket. But Diana is just something fierce, you know, yeah. with that last and under the last five seconds. It's yeah. unbelievable. And now watching her in person, see, I my answer is truth because I've watched Diana the Truth in person right on the yeah. sideline. And yeah. uh, to see that, you know, I can, I can only go with her right now. Yeah, <laughs> Diana's a killer. Okay. She's a killer. All right, I got another one. All right. You got Brittany Griner on the block and Griffith is guarding her. What happens? Oh, wow. <laughs> I ask all the hard questions. <laughs> if 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 yo if yo was guarding her, I don't even know if BG would get the ball at this point. Ooh. I really don't. I mean, I mean, yo, yo was something fierce and tough, and I, I just don't even know. I don't, I don't know. BG would want to see yo. You know, she really. I don't would. think so. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 I'm sorry, Mike. No, I was going to hop in and ask you for the third one, Chastity. What does the WNBA need to do to really, you know, uh, gain on that level to the NBA? Is it the timing because it's a new league? I know you mentioned prior, but what, what should be done? What do you want to see be done? For the league as far as marketing or just bringing back the history of the game? Uh, you know, like everything. Like how, how could – like everybody's – all these WNBA players are saying they're not getting the same pay as the NBA players. and the same, uh, you know, TV coverage. How could how could that all happen? Well, I'm starting to do that now, bringing more players back as coaches. You know, I think it really, truly hurt the league because there was a disconnect when we all left the and we didn't have anything, you know, we didn't have anything else. Uh, once we left, they just bought 
brought in the new players, all the younger players. And so there was a disconnect with the fan base. There was a disconnect with the media. The media had covered Coop and everyone for so long. And then this new generation came in that's kind of covering our league, wasn't necessarily covering college. You know, so then they had to learn a new player. So there was a huge disconnect when all, a lot of the greats, Lisa Leslie, you know, my generation, when we all retired and then they just brought in a, a slew of new people. And it, the same thing may happen when Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi decide to hang up their kicks. So we have to manage that a little bit better, you know, with the fan base, with the media. And um, like I said, there, there's got to be some, some way we can highlight those older games and, and make sure we highlight, even if it's just halftime of games, like show Yolanda Griffith, show Nikki Teasley, show um, – there's so many. I mean, Elena Beard, I mean, she just recently retired, but there's so many. Malakia Jones, like Cleveland Rockers, you know, like people don't even know those teams existed. I think that that, like, Houston Comets folding, you know, the Miami Soul folding, like they need to highlight that and let people know, like, hey, these were real franchises and we have fans. It was just mm-hmm. a matter of money and it's a matter of the owner saying, hey, we don't want the WNBA. It wasn't like people weren't – you know, excited about the team in Portland when we had the team in Portland, when we had the team in Miami. You know, <clears throat> you know, people watch those games. Cleveland still people still DM me today about the Cleveland Rockers. You know, so you know, if there's a way we could bridge that gap and kind of show that history, I think it would speak volumes for the league, and I think it would also give a sense of pride to the players that are p- currently playing today. Yeah, well said, well said. Oh, I got one more tough one. Now, I for one think Brittany Griner is an amazing talent. I think she is a, a freak. I think she has God-given freakazoid gifts before basketball even came to play. I always say Wilt Chamberlain, Luol Cinder, which is Kareem to people that don't know. I thought she had that ability, but when Wilt and Luol Cinder, Kareem came into the league, we're looking at 50 points, 20 rebounds, 39 points, 20 rebounds. What does Brittany have to do to get more dominant? Because she has everything else. You're there with her. No, BG is a hell of a talent, tons of potential. Um, I I will say this, coaching her this year, I was frustrated as well because, like I said, these young, a lot of these younger players aren't used to physicality. And, you know, the refs let a lot of people do a lot of dirty stuff to Brittany. So a lot of times she's trying to protect herself. And, you know, they would never have that. In the, I mean, I, I think the word, the center that got it the worst, and, I mean, probably Kareem and they would argue this, was Shaq. You know, he mm-hmm. probably got it the worst with dirty, you know, dirty uh, hits and people, like, literally just beating him up and, and climbing on his back. So BG has to go through a lot of that. It's harder to see on television because I was the same way. I'd be like, BG, get stronger. You know, now I'm on the sideline. I'm, I'm getting attacked because I'm looking at the rap like, you know, they can't do that. Like, she can get, you know, injured, you know. Right. Seriously, she really can. So, I think she wants to protect herself at times. So, she's she's toning it down where she's not going as hard. Um, mm-hmm. Only because, you know, she's got to, you know, she's a commodity. She's got to protect herself. And she's got to play within the game. But yeah. I think uh, with some of the rules, if just some of that, you know, some of those calls were called and she could really be as dominant as she really is, um, it, it was show in the WNBA. So... I respect that. All right, Chastity, thank you so much for coming on as our part two of episode three of Women's Appreciation Day on the Truth Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Bye, sis. All right. All right, that'll do it. Like I said, episode three of the Truth Podcast, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of myself, Jermaine's, and our guests. 
stay tuned for more episodes we got more coming by the week so coming soon check us out on youtube apple music spotify espncrt.com and follow us on social media the truth podcast on facebook and at truth podcast espn on instagram if you want to follow us just look right above our faces right jb another great episode of the truth podcast